0: and i wanted to say the reason that i'm here at west coast baptist college and have spent the entirety of my professional career up to this point in this place isn't because we have a really cool uh campus it's not for the new workout center and by the way i got to see some of that the other day it's going to be incredible there's just a lot of things that are fantastic and and manifest god's grace Here's what i want you to know though i'm here because of you and i appreciate you i respect you i love you i am so excited about what god is doing in your life as a student body, and it's a privilege for me to serve you. And I serve you through supporting the faculty, I serve you through uh, teaching classes, and really that's how I view my role here. Of course, serving the the leadership here as well in that capacity, and it's just a pleasure for me to be here and to spend a couple minutes in chapel. I have a bunch of things I wanna get right into. I did promise somebody I was gonna make just a quick announcement. And uh, I thought about how to make it really funny and stuff, and I, I, I didn't come up with it anyway. So I just want to ask for your help with something. We've got people that are eating in the library, and I don't know why. Why, why, why would we eat in the library? And there was something that I, apparently has been happening more and more and more and stuff on social media. So I just want to see that and go, okay, respect yourself, respect your classmates, respect the donors for that. That property uh, enough to uh, to eat outside of the library. Is that good? We can do that, right? Let's uh, let's make sure that we hit that. Okay, For Second Thessalonians chapter number three. If I can have you turn there, I was asked to preach. Uh, I guess a couple weeks ago now, and was as I was reading, trying to determine where God would lead me and really felt like maybe somewhere in the letters to Thessalonica and uh, so I've been reading those a bunch uh, over the last couple weeks and then Dr. Shetler turned to 1 Thessalonians yesterday and I thought man glad I didn't go there uh, because I'd be starting from scratch and uh, so we're in 2 Thessalonians today and excited about what the Lord has for us. Let's have a word of prayer. We've prayed a couple times. I want to pray again and then we'll just kind of jump in and work our way through a passage, okay? Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you once again this morning for the opportunity that we have to serve you, to know you. Lord, I am grateful for the leadership here, for Dr. Chapel, Dr. Gatch, others, for, uh, Lord, not just the leadership, for all the people that make it work, the people that volunteer to serve the lunches uh, in the lunch lines, and the people that are uh, out planting trees right now as i saw on the way to chapel moving some trees around and lord the people that help make the the wi-fi work and all the different things that go into our college experience father we're grateful for that i pray that you would meet with us this morning there's a lot of things going on but we've got this time slotted out to look into your word we want to do that now and we want to pray for your enabling and lord i want to pray for your enabling and anointing as well and that you'd be pleased with our time together in christ's name amen 2 Thessalonians chapter number 3, this is a passage that Paul wrote to, obviously, a church at Thessalonica. He wrote a couple letters there. We've got the first epistle and the second epistle here in Scripture. And this is a church that Paul founded on his second missionary journey. He's probably writing from Corinth as he's writing this letter, uh, if we understand it correctly. And he's addressing the same areas a couple different times. Have you ever had to repeat yourself? Uh, I have children, sometimes they repeat themselves and I don't want them to. They'll just kind of get something, maybe it's a lyric or something and they'll just start saying it over and over. But have you ever had to say something to someone a second time? Really, Paul is doing this. These letters are written less than a year apart and they cover a lot of the same themes. And there's a couple things going on at the Church of Corinth. One of them is they were wrong on their eschatology. They thought, or some people at least thought, or kind of circulating a rumor that Jesus had already come, and maybe they missed it, that the second coming of Christ was either really, really, really imminent, or some people said that they missed it, or if they didn't miss it, then it's right around the corner. And I do believe the imminence, but that doesn't mean that it's immediate, right? I mean, it could be any time, but I don't know when. So the church at Corinth was, was wrong in some of their belief here. And as in the first century, so today, wrong belief results in wrong behavior because their belief was wrong. The behavior in the church was deteriorating in a couple areas. And Paul addresses several of those. Dr. Shetler addressed some of those in 1 Thessalonians last time. Some of those themes reemerge in 2 Thessalonians. So Paul has worked his way through the entire book. Uh, He is is addressing that problem of the day of the Lord and the coming of the Lord. And then as he turns the corner here, he's talking about one of the practical applications. And he starts out with a very strong warning. We'll pick it up in verse 6 and work our way down to verse 16. But in verse number 6, the apostle Paul gives them this strong command. And I want you to see it here in the passage. Paul says, Now we command you, brethren in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ let's just pause for a minute and recognize the strength of that statement number one this is Paul an apostle what are some things that Paul has done to other churches well one of the favorite words that he uses is beseech can you remember any time that Paul says I beseech you he says it to the church of corinth he says it in romans romans 12 i beseech you what does that mean that means i'm asking you i'm begging you i'm i'm requesting of you i'm beseeching you paul's not beseeching here is he sometimes i look in the in the language and i want to know is this an imperative or an indicative is this a command you don't have to wonder this is a command right and Paul's an Apostle Paul is somebody that is, has the gifts of the Apostle he talks about that in second Corinthians chapter 12 verse number 12 He had to defend his Apostleship in several different uh, of these situations so here's Paul here's the Apostle he says I've got a command this is not a debate we're not showing up for a discussion this is not a collaboration meeting I've got a command and not only does he say I've got a command he says I've got a command in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ man if we thought he came in strong that's just up the ante right this is the name that we're baptized by. This is the name that we're, in, the, uh, in 1 John, command to believe in. This is, this is the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is, this is a strong command here. Whatever this is that, that the church is dealing with, Paul's worked up about it. Paul thinks it's a, it's a critical issue that they correct. Just as I command you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is it, Paul, that is such an urgent matter to address here in this passage. Verse number six, he says, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother. And then he defines who. Have you ever had to separate from somebody? It's not a convenient thing. It's not a comfortable thing. It's not, it's not something that I enjoy doing. If you've ever had to separate from someone, if you've ever had to kind of go their separate ways, he talks later, hey, doesn't mean that they're enemy, doesn't mean that they're not saved, but, but, but you, need to, you need to get some people out of your life. By the way, young person, that's true for us as well, isn't it? There are some people that we need to get out of our life in some situations and it it hopefully isn't a whole lot and it hopefully isn't real common but there are some people that you won't thrive if you keep them in your life It is in 1 Corinthians 15 where Paul says evil communications corrupt good manners. And the context of that is heresy. The context of that is people that are denying that the resurrection happened or that the resurrection of Christ happened and our future resurrection. And Paul says, hey, when you're around people with bad belief and bad behavior, there are consequences. And here he's given a command. And he says, the command is for you to separate yourselves Now, we're not surprised to find that there's a command of separation in Scripture, nor is the New Testament the first time we arrive at such a command. And yet, for the New Testament church, when you look at the New Testament commands to separate, there are a couple key distinct areas where we're told to separate. We're told to separate from somebody who is living in open immorality, 1 Corinthians chapter number five. That whole passage there's somebody that's living in unrepentant sin and paul says hey we need to as a church i'm not even there but i'm telling you my judgment here you need to separate that person you need to uh, exercise church discipline on that person for their good and for your good so there's a command to separate from somebody that's living in open unrepentant sin there's a lot of commands to separate from heretics from false teachers uh, Titus chapter three and verse number, I think it's ten or eleven, verse number ten maybe, that that after the first and second admonition for a heretic, we're to separate from them, we're to reject them. Uh, this is in 1 Timothy chapter 1, 18 through 19. This is in uh, Acts chapter number 21. This is this is uh 1 Corinthians chapter 15 again. This is throughout scripture. You're told to separate from someone with wrong doctrine, someone that's a false Teacher, 1 John chapter 3. Separate from false teachers. So clearly, people that are living in open sin, there's church discipline that applies there. People that have heresy, there's there's a separation commanded in scripture, but then there's a third category, and it's this one. That's a real clear category. Maybe there's some I missed, but right here we're told to separate from a brother. Is it ever right for a Christian to biblically separate from another person who is a Christian? They're saved. We're not saying they don't believe the gospel, but I have a biblical mandate to separate from them. The answer is yes. And we see in Paul, in the Thessalonian context, Paul's going to tell us which brothers to separate from. This isn't inclusive of all separation, but in this context, here's what Paul has in mind. By the name of the Lord Jesus, I command you to separate from every brother that walks, what's the word? Disorderly. Now, this word disorderly, Dr. Shetler talked about it last time, yesterday, maybe in chapel. Uh, It's translated unruly in 1 Corinthians chapter number 5 and verse number 14. Uh, That word appears four times in the New Testament in the Greek, uh, twice as a verb, once as an adverb, once as a, a noun, but this, this word that appears unruly or disorderly is, is the same word. It's translated these two different ways unruly or disorderly. And what Paul is saying in this context is hey, I told you to warn them in the last letter. Now I'm telling you to separate from them. Same group of people. So who is it that's disorderly? Who is it? that I need to separate from. Verse number six says, uh, separate from someone who walks disorderly and not after the tradition which he has received of us. Isn't Paul an example for us in that he can command and instruct people to follow not only his teaching, but also his living? In fact, Paul is explicit about that truth. He says, uh, in, uh, in an earlier passage, uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15, he says, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold to the traditions which ye have been taught by word or by our epistle. In other words, whether we said them to you while we were there or whether we wrote them in an epistle. Paul said, I need you to follow our traditions. And if there's somebody that, that is unruly toward those traditions, somebody that doesn't follow those, Paul commands to separate from the second passage, the second aspect of this passage, first, there's the command to separate. Secondly, there's the example of the apostle. What does unruly mean in 2 in Corinthians chapter number 3? Well, Paul said, separate from everybody that walked unruly. I did not behave myself unruly among you. I did the opposite. And he says that in verse number 7. For you yourselves know how ye ought to follow us, we behaved not ourselves disorderly among you are you surprised that paul wasn't disorderly i'm not i would expect that right paul says hey separate from those that walk disorderly follow my tradition you know while i was with you i didn't walk disorderly okay so so what does it mean to be disorderly here in this passage is it to not match your tie with your coat is that disorderly is this orderly if you've got two different kinds of socks on and you didn't, you didn't, you didn't put them together when they got out of the dryer, is that disorderly? if you failed to comb your hair in the morning? Is that disorderly? Well, that may or may not be. But that's not what Paul's talking about because Paul says, I didn't walk disorderly when I was with you. Guess what I did? Well, verse number eight is what Paul did. What did Paul do instead of walking disorderly? He said, verse number eight, neither did we eat any man's bread, for not. That's a pretty pretty definitive statement. Paul says, I didn't eat anyone's bread for nothing. Could you imagine trying to have the apostle Paul over? Dr. R. I heard you say in the back room, you're gonna have some people over to your your house this weekend from your class. Can you imagine having a group of people over to your house, and, and uh, they come over, and they, they eat some food, and they sit on the couch, and they jump in the pool maybe, and they <laughs> do whatever they do. Probably your class won't be jumping in the pool. I would, <laughs> they're the, the senior saints here in the church. But uh, could you imagine as, as they walked out, they insisted on handing you some money for the food? You wouldn't take it, would you? Can you imagine having the apostle Paul over? I would love to have the Apostle Paul over at the England home. It would be the highlight of my life. It would be incredible. Could you imagine being in the first century and being able to break bread with the Apostle Paul? What a treat. He lives at somebody's house named Jason, we think, while he's in Thessalonica. We learn that from elsewhere in Scripture, in Acts. So, he's living at somebody's house, but he's not eating their food. This is kind of the opposite of what happens in the dorm sometime, where we live in the dorm, but we do eat other people's food. Does that still happen? (laughs) This may not happen anymore. This happened when I was a student. We had a refrigerator in a common area in the dorm. And you learn pretty soon to not put good food in the refrigerator. Tofu, Dr. R, it stayed. (laughs) Steamed broccoli, it wasn't going anywhere. But if you had some chocolate cake or some brownies or some cookies, you better find you you need a safe not a refrigerator, right? You got to lock those things up. Not so with the apostle Paul. Paul wasn't eating other people's food for naught. He wasn't living on other people's generosity. Now let's be clear because Paul is clear, he could have and other people who do are right to do so. Paul gives a a long explanation of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. But he says in that passage, basically, Peter and others, that they travel with their wives and they bring their families and they they accept offerings. That's all fine and good. That's great. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse number 8, we're told that you shouldn't muzzle the ox that treads out the corn, right? In that context, somebody that is an elder that that teaches Scripture, even worthy of double honor, right? So there's nothing wrong. In fact, Paul is the one that said, those that... that, um, can't quote it exactly those that work in the gospel shall live of the gospel so paul is not against play, paid paying your pastor in fact paul is all for paying your pastor paul's not for you paying for an apostle that travels through paying the apostle because because he said peter does that and that's a good thing in first corinthians chapter five, nine but here's what he says i never did now there are times he accepted gifts seems like a lot of times he passed them through so what did paul how did paul get money To pay for the food that he ate while he stayed in Thessalonica. How did he get the money? Well, if you know from other parts of Scripture, we know that he met up, Acts tells us that he met up one time with a person named Aquila and his wife Priscilla, and they were of the same craft, the same trade. What trade was that? What what was Paul? He was a tent maker. So Paul labored, Paul worked with his hands in order to be able to have money to give to people to pay for the bread that he ate. Ah, I can't imagine having Paul over to my house and, and having him eat a meal with us and having him insist on leaving uh, some money when he left, leave a $20 bill. Maybe he doesn't even hand it to me because I can refuse it. Maybe I find after I close the door and lock it, I turn around, phew, there's a note from Paul. <laughs> it's got a $20 bill in it or something. He paid for his meal. And knowing that Paul paid for that meal by, I don't know, mowing lawns, sewing tents, and not at convenient hours either, Paul was very busy in the ministry. So when did he find time to sow a tent? Well, Paul says to this church, you all know when I did it. You all know when I made my money so that I wouldn't be blamable to any of you. Look, Paul's, we're, we're, he's, he's reminding them of what they already know. Verse number eight, neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day that we would not be chargeable to any of you. Paul's saying, while you were sleeping, I was working. And I'm not bragging about it. I'm just saying those that aren't working, you need to separate from them. Those that are walking disorderly, those that want to just live off the charity of the church, if they can work and they don't work, he's about to give a sentence about those people in a minute. He's saying, hey, you need to separate from those people because Paul prioritized, Paul honored hard work. I told Dr. Rasmussen I was preaching a practical message today. I love the deep theological ones, and once in a while I'll be able to bring some of that to chapel, but today we're talking about Paul's view of hard work. The biblical theology of your work ethic. The Bible's got a lot to say about it. Paul is saying here in this passage, I don't expect everybody to do what I did. I don't expect all apostles to pay for their own way, but I do that. In first corinthians chapter 9 in verse number 16 he says i don't have anything to gain by preaching the gospel that's my duty woes unto me if i preach not the gospel so how is he going to benefit he says i'm going to earn extra reward by doing it at no charge i'm never going to charge someone for preaching the gospel that was paul's paul's principle and he says not everybody is doing that not everybody should do that that's how i do it verse number eight i work night and day to not be blamable to any of you verse number 10 he says for verse number nine because we have not not because we have not power but to make ourselves an ensample unto you to follow us if paul were to ask the question could i have not worked while i was there in thessalonica helping you guys preaching to you guys helping plant the church and win souls would it have been right for Paul to not work would that have been appropriate and ethical without a doubt the answer is a resounding yes Paul's reminding them there's nothing wrong with uh, your your ministers that are full-time ministers that's not an unbiblical concept Paul's saying hey there's there would be nothing wrong with me living off the generosity of the church while I was there in Thessalonica nothing wrong with it verse number nine I had the power It would have been totally appropriate it would have been no no scandal no no accusation there'd been nothing wrong with me living off the generosity there but here's why I didn't because I wanted to be an example to you I wanted you to not only follow me in the areas that I taught I wanted you to follow me in the areas like I lived as well so I was giving you an example a template a pattern you are, he actually uses a word here similar to mimic. You are to mimic me in this area. Question, are you mimicking Paul in this area as well? See, see, this is a time of development in our life. We don't only develop in how we think, in what we believe, but who we are, how we behave, how we approach the practical areas of life. Guess what? When sin entered this world, it affected every domain. It affected my real it reflected our relationship with God. It reflected our relationship with each other, and it re- it, af- it affected our relationship with the world around us. Right? Adam and Eve's relationship with God was immediately harmed. Adam and Eve's relationship with each other was immediately harmed. Adam and Eve's relationship with the world around them Was immediately harmed but just like sin affects every area of existence so god's redemption overflows to every area of our existence as well it's not only our relationship with god that is affected by the gospel it's not only our relationship with each other that's affected by the gospel it's also our relationship with everyone and everything in the world without that's affected by the gospel i did a study last week of all the different times where the bible talks about those that are without what's a christian's responsibility to those that are without i won't go through that now but it's an interesting study guess what there's an impact that being a christian has in how i relate to the world at large and by the way it's not just to entirely just remove myself from the world there's a group of christians that used to think if you're going to be a really 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 devoted follower of god you've got to be celibate that means not married you've got to be ascetic that means uh, abusing the body you, and you've got to maybe take a vow of poverty, and that's how you serve God. And that's a Roman Catholic system of monasticism. monasticism. That's not a biblical model. Paul is, Paul is saying here that your work is a way for you to glorify God. He said, I could have not worked, but I wanted to give you an example. Verse number 10, for even when we were with you, this we commanded you. By the way, what he's about to say next is not in 1 Thessalonians exactly, but apparently this is something he was known for saying. So he's reminding them, remember, he was just there. So he's reminding them of what he often repeated. This we commanded you, that if any should not work, neither should he eat. So apparently this was a long-running problem. Why would this be a problem at the church at Thessalonica? Well, maybe one is human nature. We are, by nature, lazy i am by nature lazy i like the easy way i like the short hours i like the non-sweat way i, 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 I have a tendency to be lazy if i'm not careful right why else was this church maybe needing this commandment well, it was a gentile church predominantly some churches were dominated by jews this one was predominantly gentile and in the gentile in the roman system the elites despised work it was a slave's duty remember jesus when he took the the towel and he laid aside his tunic and he gird himself and he took the towel and he washed the disciples feet what was he doing he was humbling himself he was taking the role of a servant and he was telling all of his disciples you do like i've done you're not greater than me you're great by being like me right so here, Paul is writing to some people, and no doubt people got saved that were, that, that were wealthy, that had a, a staff, that had people that did all the work for them. The, the Romans kind of thought that the, the, the honorable work was the thinking and the philosophizing and being a sophist or being a, a, a politician or an orator, and, 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 and the, the mind work was the honorable work and the physical work, Now, that's for the peons. That's for the peasants. That's for the slaves and the servants and the poor and the dumb and the rest of the people. And Paul is saying, Paul was an upper-class Jewish citizen. I don't know if Paul would have been a millionaire in our mind prior to salvation, but he was influential, he was connected, and he had resources. He may well have been. And Paul said, when I chose the life of pursuing Christ and propagating the gospel— It included a willingness to sew tents. It included a willingness to work hard, not just work hard like hard work thinking, and thinking's hard work, but I labored and travailed night and day. And we need to recognize, young person, that there are times in our life that what we're doing doesn't seem to directly line up with something that we hold to be a really big priority i've got big priorities in my life i think i know why i'm here and what i'm supposed to do and and i'm thankful to be able to live out a lot of those priorities but sometimes i've just got to do work work Uh, last night i was replacing a headlight on my car it's just just kind of work sometimes i gotta mow a lawn sometimes i gotta rake some leaves sometimes i've got to do some physical work and guess what that's honorable Paul is telling his people here that you can glorify God in even those areas of labor. Verse number 11 or verse number 10, he says quite frankly, remember I told you if somebody didn't eat, he shouldn't if somebody didn't work, he shouldn't eat. There are people we we believe maybe because they thought the coming of Christ was so immediate that just quit their jobs and hey, I'm part of the church now, the church should take care of me. By the way, the church should Take care of vulnerable and poor and people who can't work and elderly and widows and orphans. The church should. But if you can work and you don't work, Paul said, that person shouldn't eat. Uh, A famous essayist and novelist of 100 years ago named uh, Alfred Lewis said, society is nine meals away from anarchy. And uh, yeah, man, I don't know. If I missed nine meals in a row and I didn't know where I was going to eat, what, what, would, you do to, what would you do to procure food for you or your loved ones? Mm, maybe something unpleasant, right? What Paul is saying here is hunger is a good motivator. If they get hungry enough, they'll find a job. That's right. if, if you stop eating, uh, it's, it's going to get uncomfortable. And Paul, this is not hyperbole. This is not Paul posturing. He's not grandstanding here. He literally means stop giving people food if they're lazy and idle. If they're disorderly, if they're idle, if they're lazy, stop feeding them. I already told you that when I was there. I already told you back in 1 Thessalonians, I reminded you to warn the, the idle, the unruly, the, the, those that are disorderly. Now, I'm just, I'm just telling you, don't let them eat. Verse number 11, he says... For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, not working at all, but are busybodies. This is an interesting way that he uh, phrases this. They're not working at all. There's a word that means work. In Greek, it's ergazomai. So Paul says there's people. We hear a report that there's people that are not working. They're not doing ergazomai. They're not working. Instead, they're doing para ergazomai. It's a play of words. It's kind of hard to capture, but our English does a pretty good job. They're not busy, but busy bodies. They're trying to capture a little bit of the rhyme because the Greek rhymes here. They're not er, ergazo. They're ergazomai. They're para ergazomai. W- well, what is para ergazomai? Busy bodies. I get that. What does it mean? Where else is it used? Nowhere else. So I was looking. Okay, where else is it used in some of the other writings and some of the other you know Greek works, apostolic fathers or classics? Or it basically means this. People who are idle, who are interfering with other people's business, busybodies, people who labor at things that don't require labor, people that are paying attention to things that don't need attention paid to them. They're not completely idle, they're worse than idle. <laughs> they're not just sitting at home on their chair, they're up and about. They're spreading rumors. They're poking their face into other people's business. They're doing things that they have no business doing. They're not busy. They're busybodies. They're not ergazomai. They're paraergazomai. And Paul says, we've heard this report. Those people need to not even eat. Verse number 12, now them that are such, we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, the same, same high command. It's a command. It's by the Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread this is really where Paul is concluding here's the instruction part here's the helpful part Paul says hey I've got a solution with quietness let them work and eat their own bread Paul's telling everybody at Corinth eat your own bread let's say that together ready what's Paul telling them eat your own bread Paul's telling them you need to get a job you need to earn income you need to eat your own bread like I did. I ate my own bread. I didn't eat your bread without paying you for it. I wasn't chargeable to anybody. No one hearing this letter read could say, oh, except for when he came over to my house, except for when I gave him bread. No, Paul says, I'm not chargeable to anyone because I labored and travailed night and day to not be blamable unto you. So here's my assessment. Here's my command tell them that are idle, tell them that are disorderly, tell them that are failing to work and not following the tradition that they've received of me, tell them to stop being a busybody, be quiet, and stop being idle to work and with their work to provide and eat their own bread. Young person, there is a tendency in society to rely on someone else to give you the bread. There's, a, I think, maybe a growing interest in not working. But the pur- just like the purpose of life is not comfort, the purpose of work is not to eventually not have to work. Work is honorable. There's an intrinsic value to work that Paul is telling, reminding these people of. Not all of these people were supposed to work in ministry, but all of these people were supposed to view their work as ministry. Paul here is reminding them that this is a part of how you honor and glorify God. Guess what? God is a God that works. God works in redemption. God works in providence. God works in sustaining the universe. God worked in creation. And God commands us to work because we're like God in that area. We can be creative. We can be productive. We can be diligent. We can produce. And Paul says, that's one of your jobs as a Christian. There's a massive amount of research that I've only skimmed the surface of that links the Protestant Reformation and the, the biblical view of work with the rise of wealth and capitalism and, and prosperity. You know, that's an amazing thing that many unsaved people have studied. Have you ever heard of the Protestant work ethic? The Protestant work ethic, very much researched and written about. Here's basically the idea, that throughout history, over centuries, in multiple different continents, when people became a Christian, it didn't only affect their relationship with God. It didn't only affect their relationship with each other. It affected their relationship with work. So I'm here to ask you this morning, does your work ethic reflect your faith? Does your diligence reflect? At work, glorify God. Because God said, Paul again writing, that whether we eat or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do it all to the glory of God. In fact, Paul says in Corinth, in in Corinthians, and I've got it somewhere here. I think it's Corinthians chapter number two. Uh, Colossians, rather, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 23 you know this verse, whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. Here's what the Bible says. Whatsoever ye do, that's poieo, that's a different word. We don't know that word. But then the next do is a different word entirely. Paul says, whatever you poieo, er garzomai. Whatever you do, here's what he says, work, that, that that word work there is translated work. It's translated labor. It's translated trade. We get the idea of vocation there. Here's what Paul says: Whatever you do, whatever you play oh. Ergazomai to the glory of God. Hey, if you mow lawns, mow lawns to the glory of God. If you cook, if you're in the dish pit in the Student Life Center, do dishes for the glory of God. Hey, if you are grading papers, if you are preparing hamburgers at McDonald's, I, I don't know what you do for the work, but here's what, here's what Paul says. Ergazomai as unto the Lord. Work as if your ultimate aim is not to please your boss. But God, by the way, I think if we work in that manner, if we work to please God and not our boss, we'll please our boss too. Yeah. Most of the time. I was thinking as I was getting ready for this message, one of the, uh, I worked a lot of jobs growing up. I, I taught piano and mowed uh, lawns. I worked at a hydroponic greenhouse. I worked at a grocery store, uh, managed the produce section, and I worked at a, 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 trust, a construction job, trust manufacturing. I didn't have much of a teenage life, apparently, but I did all of those before I came to college. And I was working at the trust uh, job uh, one time and they made us work overtime and and, uh, they had a a nine person crew. There's eight people and me and and they're all really, really uh, obviously foul language and it's quite the environment, but they weren't happy about being there at work. And they said, the manager said, okay, let's work as slow as we can so that they don't ask us to come in on Saturday again. So they put eight people on the inside. There's a two step process when you're making trusses for a house. They put eight people on the inside and they put me on the outside and they were gonna work really slow and just kinda of get some of the, the thing going, then come out and see a big stack of things and they were gonna to, going to take the rest of the night and not get much done. And I remember, I remember they're, they're actually coming out because there's eight of them and one of me, they're coming out pretty fast and I was, I was getting them loaded up and, and uh, stacked up like we are supposed to do, ready to ship. And then they walked out about three hours later and they looked at what they expected to be a pile of pro- product and there was nothing out there, it was all in the trucks already. And he was like, Toby, you're working too hard, man. You're working too hard. <laughs> And, and uh, we all had, had a good relationship. I was trying to make him uh, look bad. We, weren't, we, we worked well together. But, but he didn't understand, I wanted to make him happy, but I was working ultimately, I was trying to do this. I was trying to ergazomai as unto the Lord. And young person, whether you're working on a paper, whether you're uh, working for money uh, to pay your bill, whether you're doing a phone job on the phone, whatever it is, Here's my challenge to you this morning. Can we obey the scriptural c- command to ergazomai as unto the Lord? Work as unto the Lord. Paul wraps this up here in verse number 12. He says, uh, or verse number 13, but ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. Have you ever been the hard worker on shift? Have you ever been, have you ever been in an environment? I've been maybe on, on a uh uh union before where other people were there not because of merit but because of longevity and that's how raises you ever been in a situation where we use this word sometimes growing up slacker where there's just a slacker they just they're not they're not pulling their own weight and you feel like you're doing three people's jobs they look good because you're on the shift (laughs) that's why you're not behind you ever been that person but Paul recognized that there's some people like that in Thessalonica. And he says to them, don't be weary in well-doing. Yeah. And by the way, he's also wanting them to recognize, don't let these people that are abusing your charity get you bitter about charity at all. Because when you work and when you get resources, you're supposed to provide for yourself, eat your own bread. Let's say, eat your own bread. Eat your own bread. Paul says, you're supposed to provide for yourself and your family, if you have one, because if you don't do that, you're worse than an infidel. This is clear teaching in scripture. Number two, you're supposed to, uh, you're, you're to do charity, you're to support others, you're to give generously to those that don't have as much, and you can enjoy some of what you have. First uh, Timothy chapter six talks about that. So Paul is saying, hey, don't be weary in well-doing. This is a good work. You've gotta stay after it, don't be weary. Verse number 14, if any man obey not our word in this epistle, note that man, and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed but then he quickly follows up with that and says yet count him not as an enemy but admonish him as a brother this person is these people were not unsaved they weren't they were brothers but paul says this is a big deal there's a lot of times we come to chapel and we hear about prayer prayer is a big deal we hear about holiness holiness is a big deal there's so much scripture teaches I don't don't know how often I stop to think about the area of my ergazomai, my work. Am I working as unto the Lord? Because Paul said, hey, Christians work different than non-Christians. Christians Christians work harder than non-Christians. Christians Christians work to please a higher cause for a higher reason than non-Christians. We do it as unto the Lord and not unto men. So young person, I want to encourage you today, no matter what you see around you, no matter what you're tempted to do, I want to ask you to work hard because it's your duty to God. I want to ask you to be diligent because it's an area that you can have intrinsic worth. You can reflect God and imitate God, obey Scripture, and have the dignity of this. Strive to provide for yourself. Give charity to others and enjoy the fruit of your work because you can serve God nearly any vocation. Any work that we do can be done in a way that is unto the Lord.